make no mistake that Jesus Christ was ever uh, the evangelist, uh, ever uh, the missionary. And as I have often uh, referred to and recommended uh, what I think is the maybe one of the most insightful books of the last 50 years, uh, The Gospel According to Jesus by John MacArthur. MacArthur notes uh, in somewhat of a, a sarcastic way that Jesus would have failed every evangelism course and every major uh, seminary in the United States of America. Uh, he goes on uh, to note that it is not us who should uh, scrutinize and criticize the evangelistic methods and messages of our Lord Jesus Christ, but that we should examine them and to be sure adopt and adapt our methods and our message to what he has said, what he has modeled uh, before us. And so uh, we find as seemingly with each passing passage here in this Gospel of Luke, the, the intensity of the focus of our Lord and, and again, the, uh, the, the intensity with which he speaks uh, words to both the disciples and the crowds that uh, gathered around him. And uh, we can see that increasingly with perfect insight. He recognizes that these crowds, they aren't listening. They aren't getting the message that he is proclaiming. And he does nothing to lower the bar to accommodate their understanding. In fact, seemingly, he continues to raise the bar. And in fact, even seemingly to discourage those who might, with a, a haphazard manner of thinking through, attempt to join themselves to him. And so while we believe that the gospel in one sense is an all-inclusive message, that we desire that the gospel be proclaimed to all men in all places at all times. It is the singular thing that God has given to us by which men will be saved. We believe also the gospel is exclusive and that the gospel has uh, its own set of demands that are inclusive of the uncompromising demand that we surrender ourselves to the authority, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we cannot and we must not ever, ever compromise that message. So uh, read with me, if you will, from Luke 12, beginning in verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed 
on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Pray with me. Father, once again, we thank you for your truth. It is the testimony to the work of your Son. It is the call to all people in all places at all times that they would repent and believe your gospel. I pray that today, that if there are those here that have never been born again, they have never repented and they have never believed, I pray that today that you would so work that in their heart that you would cause them to believe your truth and that all who are gathered here would say, yes, yes, Lord, and surrender ever increasingly to your will, to your word. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Very obvious that Jesus never took the Dale Carnegie course, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, I actually took time to review some of the precepts of that monumental bestseller and, and quite a movement that surrounded it. And um, basically you can see that if you would succeed and communicate well in this world, you must so round off your method, and your messages so that you do not offend anyone and that you embrace all. That does not seem to be the way that Jesus approached his method, message, nor ministry. That much that he had to say had sharp edges to it. It was designed to penetrate deeply into the souls of men. It was designed to expose their wickedness for the sake of their being driven to His cross for their salvation. And so we see here in this first verse that, that Luke, as he has on a number of occasions, as, as do the other gospel writers, makes mention that Jesus has drawn a large crowd and that these people are so enamored with Jesus at this particular point in time that that they are running over each other they're knocking each other down they're trampling each other in order to get close to Jesus uh, to hear him or maybe even perhaps to receive a miracle from him but we see that as always Jesus is never impressed by the numbers who call out his name. And so I believe in this episode and these other examples that we see a warning that Jesus would say, 
Beware that you aren't deceived by popularity. That you are not deceived by popular acceptance. And so we find so often throughout the Scriptures that when a large crowd assembles, Jesus punctures their expectations and they leave uh, disgruntled and mumbling under their breath. Now, to, to be sure, uh, the Bible presents what is a kind of a, a, a great tension, a, a, an oxymoron or something of that type, that we, we're told to, to be careful uh, when people speak well of us. Uh, if the world is affirming you, by definition, you're compromising the truth. Ever so more true in the current cultural uh, environment. Yet, we're admonished to do our good works before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That in doing them, we're not only to demonstrate, let me tell you something, good works are good, and it's, and it's a good thing to go to a, a, a food pantry and a clothes closet. Those are wonderful things. But doing that type of good works, and they are good works, None of those things are the imperishable seed of the new birth. Only the proclaimed Word of God is that imperishable seed. So as we do these things before men, we must speak the truth of the gospel. And so we do these things, and we're ever mindful of what Jesus said, that the, the, the gate is actually narrow, the way is narrow, and there are going to be few that find it. That, that upon feeding the multitudes and, and, and they're being so enamored with Jesus that they are ready to come and make him king, he begins to say such uh, inflammatory and confusing things to them that the multitudes leave him. And he even looks at the disciples and says, Guys, do y'all want to leave too? This might be the opportune time. Do you realize what you have signed up for? And it is there that the Apostle Peter, we think of that great confession, you are the Christ. Well, he makes another great confession there, that you have the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? Who else can speak to us these words of truth? And so on one hand, we recognize that there's never been a time in human history in which the majority of the people of the world are the people of God. That we have always been a minority to one extent or another, and we have at times had some type of favor within the popular culture, and at other times what? We find ourselves in disfavor. And in this particular culture, in this particular day, if you speak the truth of the Word of God, you will be found in disfavor. You will be disapproved of by the current culture. And so we need to be careful of that, yet also understanding the wonderful words found in Revelation 7-9, that there will be indeed a great multitude. There will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation that because there have been missionaries, there have been evangelists that the church has set apart and they have sent out from the place of worship and they have gone and they've done what? They have spoken the truth. They have proclaimed. They have sown the seed of the gospel and God has brought it to fruition now for 2,000 years. And so we always need to be careful 
as we evaluate what the world might call success. The truth always has its counterfeits. I, I am not an expert on revival and spiritual awakening. There, there are those that have written a number of scholarly works on the history of evangelism and spiritual awakening and revival. But it's very possible and very likely that the only truly or, or true and widespread spiritual awakening to ever occur on uh, this place we call the United States of America was what we know as the first great awakening under men like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. But to be sure, even Edwards would preach sermons as to how to discern the truth from error, to discern that which marked true conversion and that which uh, marked spurious or false conversions. And so we always have to be aware that even though we proclaim a kind of a rock-ribbed truth, that there is a, a, a phenomenon that because of the reality of the carnal appetites of men, if, if, if people are saved, there will always be sucker fish that want to be drawn along with the crowd, even as we seek to be as discerning and faithful and accurate as possible. And, of course, Judas Iscariot is the classic example of a carnal, ungodly, devilish man that saw enough that appealed to him in his own fleshly way of thinking that he remained attached to Jesus Christ until the moment of his complete and utter collapse. And so we never want to make the mistake of diluting, perverting, and compromising the truth. Even if it looks like it's not working, the truth is still the truth. Again, MacArthur notes that uh, someone once evidently said to him, or he read, he said, one Calvinist wag said that we preach a gospel so compromised and so sweet that the non-elect will not even reject it. That is, what does he mean? That we can so dilute the truth of the gospel, the demands of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the truth that we must deny ourselves, we must take up our cross daily, we can so um, downgrade what Jesus has said to us about what it means to become his disciple that people say, listen, if my choice is heaven or hell, I'm not an idiot. I will sign up for the bus that's going to heaven. I mean, if all there is to it is that I've got to make a decision that I'm in. See, we're, we're in that season of year, and I get somewhere between kind of chapped and really uncomfortable. Because as you saw in our announcements here a minute ago, Josh, what are you going to do in your free time these next few weeks, buddy? Uh, I, maybe, maybe we can get together and go to lunch, okay? Let's, let's do that, okay? I, I mean, there are all kinds of activities for our youth and our young people. And so well-meaning people, not you, okay, seriously, well, how many decisions did you have VBS last week? How many decisions uh, did you get from uh, the kids at children's camp? Well, let me tell you something. If Josh or I decide to get decisions at VBS or children's camp, we can get 100%. Uh, he probably, I might not can. I, they think, they've been crying all week 
because I play games with them. But, but Josh, being the nice guy that he is, could get 100%. Yes, yeah, you know, won't your mama be proud if you tell her when you go home tonight you've asked Jesus into your heart? And that is a disaster. And for the last 50 to 75 years, that is what we've cultivated in the Southern Baptist Convention. And again, Paul gets at it in 2 Timothy. Not only is it preach the word, but be aware that in these last days, right now, they will gather to themselves those that will say what their itching ears want to hear. That, that the church, or the visible church, the thing that calls itself the church, they, they, will call it, they will gather to themselves leaders who will speak these things that make them feel good about their spurious claim to salvation. And it will self-propagate itself. It will replicate itself. And it will go on and on and on and on. Because what? Because men, as Paul says, and women, I want to be inclusive there, don't want to offend anybody, don't want to leave anybody out. Men and women will not endure sound doctrine. They will not listen to the truth. They do not want to hear it. That's harsh. That's mean. That's narrow. And so we, we see here that Jesus never was swayed by the crowds. He never was impressed by popular opinion. He had ever before him his mission, which was not to become a king. It was to go to the cross, not the crown, but the cross. And he was to preach an uncompromised, unrelenting message of absolute surrender to him. So beware that you're not deceived by a crowd. Now, I'm not going to tell you that every large church is compromised. I'd say I mentioned John MacArthur, and there's John Piper, and there's any number of preachers that churches have grown uh, tremendously under their ministries, and they have not compromised the truth. But beware. Just because it's big does not mean that it's true. All right, let's move forward. Now, be careful regarding evil influences. Okay, we, we've kind of thought about this business of the crowds. Now, Jesus here, and, and you're going to see in these uh, next few sections over the coming weeks, that at times he's speaking to the disciples, and at times he's speaking to or about the crowds. Okay, it's kind of two different things going on. So he's speaking uh, to these uh, disciples. Uh, first of all, those that have uh, aligned themselves uh, with, with him. And his words to them there in verse 1, end of the sentence, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, what does leaven do? I don't know a whole lot about baking, but I do understand that it's something that you put into uh, flour or dough and it makes does some kind of supernatural kind of thing and makes it kind of blow up and makes it where you can eat it, okay? And, and in other words, a little bit of leaven has an outsized effect on that which it is placed within, okay? It, it influences. So Jesus is using a, a figure of speech here, uh, a, a cooking figure of speech, 
And what he's saying is don't allow yourself to be influenced, to, to, to come under particularly evil influences. And in this case, particularly the Pharisees. He says that what their influence is is their hypocrisy. Now, what, what is hypocrisy? It's an interesting word. The word almost comes straightforward, kind of what we call transliterated uh, into English. The Greek word looks and sounds almost like our uh, English words, hypocrite and hypocrisy and all of these things. And it was a word in secular Greek that described an actor playing a role. When an actor is playing a role, he, in a sense, presents himself as someone else. Okay, And in Greek tragedy, uh, a part of the way they acted was to actually hold a mask in front of their faces uh, to uh, demonstrate and to, to kind of put themselves in character. That's why in, in some cultures uh, there, there's a phrase, and we use it in our culture, this person is two-faced. That is, that, that they're one way in one environment, and they're another way in another environment. They're not genuine. They are counterfeit. And so Jesus is saying, beware of these supposed religious leaders because they're playing a role. They are not revealing their true selves. They've got the mask of religion in front of them, and it is dangerous. And so this word became really kind of taken over in the New Testament to represent the ingenuine, the, the counterfeit. So he says, beware of this particular group, these Pharisees, because they have been deceived by an inherited tradition that places man at its center, and it is an oppressive tradition. It is a tradition that Jesus describes as that which will condemn men to hell, that, that by preaching this message of your tradition, you make those that you proselytize twice as much sons of hell. That is not a very nice thing to say. So, they were deceived by tradition. They were enamored with position. And, and here's the thing. Their position wasn't that hot to begin with in that they were citizens of an occupied nation. At, at best, they simply served a pagan emperor. And yet, they thought that what they held on to and what they valued and esteemed was more valuable than their soul and more valuable than the truth of the message that Jesus came to proclaim. And so they were enamored with their position, they were deceived by the tradition, and they were satisfied with these distortions that obscured the revelation given to them throughout the centuries of the prophets and the promise of a Messiah who would come, a king from David's family, who would ultimately be what? A suffering servant who through his suffering on the cross he would heal the sin affliction of men by his stripes we are healed and so they were deceived they were enamored they were satisfied indeed they were dangerous now we often talk about context when we're talking about interpreting the Bible now other than Josh, we don't have any Pharisees here now. I, I'm kidding. They're really, you know, the, the Pharisees are not a sect in the Christian church. And so you can over-contextualize something and say, well, there's no Pharisees, so there's no application to us. No, 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 no. 
there's always hypocrites. There's always counterfeits. There are always those that are willing to bend and distort. There, there are always those, and sometimes they're well-meaning. And again, some of these evangelistic messages and, and methods, maybe they float out of some sincere desire, but they have so overran the banks of evangelism that they have flooded and washed away uh, the truth in so many churches today. And, and so Paul could speak of there being a, a great reality of evil leaven in the church. Uh, one of my uh, favorite uh, passages is 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 in which uh, Paul is absolutely uh, critical of what's going on in the Corinthian church because they have uh, tolerated a notorious uh, uh, instance of, of immorality and said, you know, even the pagan Gentiles would not put up with what you are putting up with. Now, please understand me. When I said not to associate with immoral people, I wasn't talking about the people of the, the world. If you weren't going to associate with the immoral people in the world, you'd have to leave the world. He's being a little bit sarcastic there. He's using some humor to draw their attention to the issue. What I meant with is there are people in the church, people in the church who are pretending to be believers, or making the claim of being believers, but they deny it by the reality of their own immorality. Don't allow them to influence you. In fact, remove that leaven. And, of course, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul, again, another type of issue, but don't let some type of legalism and moralism and Judaism so infiltrate the church that it absolutely destroys the purity of the gospel of the grace of God revealed in Jesus Christ. So it's always a pertinent warning. So to the disciples, beware. To the church, I believe God's message is always beware. Always beware that you do not allow evil influences to, to, to influence your behavior nor distort your message. We always need to be on track. Jude speaks of this faith once and for all delivered to the saints. And, 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 and we, we must always make sure that we are proclaiming this, this biblical, Christ-honoring, Christ-centered gospel. Not, not, a, a, not a, a, a gospel of tradition or easy believism or decisionism or even things like moralism. You know, just, you just need to be better. Well, all of us need to be better, but that will not get you into heaven. We must become a person who has been born of the Spirit of God, heard that gospel, believed it, and repented of sin. And so, be careful. Be careful that you're not deceived by these evil influencers. Now, notice he goes on and, and kind of continues this bit of instruction there in verse 2. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed. Now, remember he's speaking to the disciples. And there is, 
at times I get a bit confused in talking about the judgment. And there's several things that are in view here when we talk about it. And it doesn't mean I don't believe in the judgment. I believe in a coming judgment. And I believe it is appropriate material to speak of to the church and to speak of in evangelism. That, that is, it is a pertinent warning that based on the standard of the law of God, that there are men and women who are guilty of the violation of that. They will come under God's judgment and God's condemnation, and they will suffer an eternity in hell. That is a legitimate message. It is a necessary message that must be proclaimed in evangelism. And again, the good news for those who believe is that you have been delivered from the just and holy wrath to come. That we rightly celebrate and we rightly worship the Savior who has delivered us from that which we deserve. That is good news. And so he says that, that all things will be revealed, and I believe that is applicable to the believer, that, it, that in the judgment there is the judgment that it pronounces a just, a right, a holy, an accurate, a judgment that is based on the inassailable, unassailable evidence that has been presented before God by which men are actually guilty for their disobedience of God and God will judge them. Depart from me, I never knew you. You indeed are a worker of iniquity. You are indeed a child of the devil. You are getting what, I'm not being unjust, I'm being just, you're getting what you deserve. But there's also a sense that the, I believe that the believer will stand before God, not because their salvation is in question, that, that, that well, okay, now, uh, you did pretty good in life, and, you know, you were pretty good old Joe or Jane, but let's see. Good works, bad works, good works, bad works. No, no. But I believe that the believer's works will be evaluated, okay? That there will actually be rewards. And this is where I kind of struggle in that there will be no sorrow in heaven while uh, there will not be the approval or there won't be, well, that's okay, you know, you just, you just messed up a little bit down there. I believe that, that the believer at some level will be absolutely galled by the way, the frivolous way that they neglected and they rebelled against God. And in that moment of pain, they will realize to an extent that they have never realized before while on this earth, the greatness, the depth, the power, the magnitude of the grace of God through which they are forgiven, that indeed their sin has been moved as far as the east is from the west. They will celebrate from all of eternity that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that peace with God for them has been resolved at the cross of Calvary. And so, all things, nothing will be hidden. You know, you see kids sometimes, they think if they're out of sight of their parents, they can get by with fill in the blank. Uh, even if they're within sight of their parents, they'll close their eyes 
You know, if, if I can't see you, you can't see me. Unfortunately, what? We believers live like that sometimes too, don't we? We, we think we're, we're going to cut a corner and get by with it. See, our, our lives are like the houses that my dad used to build. And that is if you compromise in terms of the building of the foundation, no matter how well painted and how well manicured the lawns are, that building will ultimately collapse. And if your life is not founded upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, one day you will be exposed as a fraud. And so we need to be sober that everything and all things will ultimately be brought to the light, that, that all things will be made known and receive their proper evaluation by an omniscient and a perfectly wise and good God. So, be careful regarding evil influences. Be aware of evil, of, of the leaven of those that would deceive you and be aware that there is a day when all things will be evaluated. Well, let's look at this final section there in verses 4 through 7. There, I guess you could say, two warnings and then there's an exhortation. And I think it's a, a pertinent exhortation for our day. Jesus says to his friends, again, presumably speaking to these disciples, those that have been born again, those who have followed after Jesus. Essentially, you have no need to fear any man. Now, I, I believe that, that that's simply a figure of speech. It's not limited to any man or just to men. It is limited to all things in all places at all times that you do not need to fear that I am sovereignly and lovingly the authority over you and I have the power of life and death and those will be applied in exactly the appropriate measure and the appropriate time. I think that I said something to a friend last night at the wedding reception that they thought was rather wise. I was referring to the funeral that I preached on Monday. And I made the point. We often speak of the person who has died, that God has ordained that day of their death, that they, they died according to God's good and wise plan. But we also need to understand that we are alive, that we live according to that same good and wise plan, that we who have been left alive, even though we have lost those that we love, we have been ordained to live and embrace that living to the glory of God, to the purpose of God. That if you're here today, there is still a purpose for your life. And while you may grieve the loss of those that you love, and I know that experience, and I know most of you know that experience, you remain by the will of God, and I would urge you, I would exhort you to live as though life is precious and it is a part of God's design that you be here to serve Him. And you will be here 
Not until this disease or that disease takes you out. You will be here until God brings you home according to a plan that was set in stone before you ever formed in your mother's womb. So what's, what is the application? Live with confidence. Live with confidence. Do not live in fear. And as I said, as I've, as I've watched things play out over these last 18 months, and Drew has been really good about keeping before us these events, tragic events in Canada related to these pastors being arrested and put in jail for insisting that they must gather in Christ's name for the worship of Almighty God, that they cannot, they cannot yield to an, uh, an, an ungodly and, and, and unjust decree of the government in view of God's demand. And so I am sober of what may be ahead for us as the culture and the government that represents that culture becomes increasingly hostile to the truth of the Word of God. But we're not to live in fear. No matter what they do to us. Now, we're not to fear them, but we're to fear the one to whom we'll give an account. The Old Testament writer said the beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. Now, even in the church today, there's a virtual absence of the fear of the Lord. God's my good buddy. He gets me. You know, we got this. We, we're like this. Me and him. We just like this. And so, you know, I can skate because he, he grades on the curve. Well, again, our sobriety and our appropriate reverential fear must always be directed towards God. That they're not, not a, 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 a paralyzing paranoia, but the reality that I will give an account and my hand, my life is in his hands because he has the authority and the power to kill, but beyond that, to cast into hell. To decree and to condemn justly those who live in rebellion to this place known as hell. Yes, yes, fear him. Don't, don't fear the, the godless people that are populating the seats of government. Don't fear the godless people that are running the media and the corporations and the academic centers of our world. Don't fear them. Fear the one who has the power to destroy body and soul. That's the one to fear, to reverence, to be reminded. It is to him that we will give an account. And then verse 6, he, he uses that form of argumentation that we see so often in the gospel from uh, the lesser to the greater, the greater to the lesser. He's saying now, are not five sparrows something that is uh, in, in the economy of, of the ancient Palestine? They were Sparrows were not particularly uh, valuable. Uh, they, they evidently did use them uh, for some type of food source, but they were not of any real particular uh, value. 
And he says those that we esteem as having very little value. He says God has not forgotten a single one of them. That he knows the name of every sparrow that you think is insignificant. In fact, he goes further and says, listen, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Now, for some of y'all, that's not hard. I could probably number them, okay? But for, for, some, for some of us, for some of us, that might be a fairly difficult thing to, to carry out. But he has numbered them. What is he saying? I know you intimately. I know you by name. I am your good shepherd. I, I am watching over you. My rod and my staff, they are there and they are your comfort. You are in that valley that's called the shadow of death. But do not despair. I have prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Do not fear. I am the Lord God. I am the good shepherd. And so, live confident of God's care. That, that when we speak of a sovereign God, that is a good thing. That, that He is a good God in charge of the affairs of our life. That, that, that our lives, our days, our cares, our affairs, they are all measured and designed according to the good will of God. And so, we see as we move forward into Luke, uh, Jesus saying some things that really didn't win him a lot of friends and may have lost a bit of influence uh, with those that uh, were flocking uh, to hear him. And by, maybe by... Uh, the analysis of Dale Carnegie, maybe he would have failed the course. Maybe more tragically, he would have failed evangelism in a lot of our modern seminaries. But to be sure, he is always about preaching the piercing, the penetrating message of the gospel, of never in any way distorting, perverting, compromising, deluding, but he's bringing the full bore of the power of God contained in his word so that it will produce fruit. What did Isaiah say that God said? My word does not return void. So why would I ever want to in some way round off the edges of the word of God? It's almost like, well, I have a better message and I have a better method to bring about the conversion of men. That it is the denial that not only is the word inspired and inerrant and infallible, but it is insufficient. It is insufficient to do that which God would do in His world. And so, beware. Yeah, that's appropriate. Be careful. But I would say to you, be confident. Be confident of the care and the concern for your heavenly Father, and for His Son who died on the cross for your sins, 
and for his Holy Spirit that continues to guide us through an ever-darkening world. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. It is your truth without any mixture of error. May we be found faithful. May we uh, look forward with even uh, confidence and even uh, a sense of joy to the day that indeed we will stand uh, before you. I pray today uh, that your word and spirit would be at work in our hearts, in our minds, for the good of our very souls, but more importantly, for the glory of Almighty God. We ask these things in Jesus' name.